Hello, I'm Edmund Daw, and welcome to this episode. I'm glad that you're listening today, and once again, I remind you that a PDF outline for this episode can be found in the podcast description on Buzzsprout. For many listeners, this marks the end of another teaching year, and what a year it has been. The end of a year for many teachers and students also means the time for music examinations. Thousands of students in Canada have been performing their piano examinations over the past few weeks. It's an exciting and stressful time for students, their teachers, and parents. The work of the past year culminates in this session with an examiner. There's a lot at stake, and each exam is an important milestone. And added to the usual excitement and stress, we have the effects of the pandemic. Online teaching, and now for many, online exams. And judging from some of the posts I've seen on social media, moving to online or Zoom examinations has brought its own set of challenges. It'll be interesting to see the changes that might occur in the whole music exam process after the pandemic. I suspect that options for in-person or online exams will become a permanent part of the new normal. And also for podcast listeners with another teacher year ending, it is also a time to reflect on the work of our students, to think about next steps, new goals, new repertoire, and so on. What's next in your plan with each student? Well, today I want to share my thoughts on music examinations. I feel that they can be an excellent option for many students. However, I believe that in order for music examinations to be useful, motivational teaching tools and measurements of student achievement, there are five key players in this process who all have a very important role and require a commitment to excellence. When I think about music examinations, I see a triangle on one side consisting of the teacher, the student, and the parent. And from this triangle, there's a strong connecting line to the examining institution and the examiner. So the teacher, student, parent, and the examining system and examiner. Five important players with each one serving an important role and purpose. So today I want to talk about these five players in the examination process, but before getting into this, let me give you some information on my background to give you a sense of how my perspectives on examinations have been shaped. I started taking lessons at the age of seven, and if you read my bio on my website, you'll see that I describe my early years as years of recreational piano. I mean recreational piano, seven years in total. I didn't cover much territory in terms of a comprehensive curriculum of repertoire, technique, ear training, rudiments, sight reading, all of those aspects of music examinations. The piano teacher I had at the time did not have piano examinations as part of the curriculum of her studio. Now at the age of 14, I was also playing in a community concert band And the band director had suggested to my piano teacher that perhaps I should try a piano exam. When we assessed the level of my playing at the age of 14, after seven years of lessons, it was determined that grade three was the exam I should try. So you see, I hadn't been doing a lot in those seven years. Even though there were some year-end recitals, there was no music festival, And as I said, no examinations leading up to that point. In any case, grade three was a level I had reached at the age of 14. So definitely recreational piano in my view. So I registered for the exam, but overall it was not a positive experience, even though I received a very good mark. The examination was scheduled very early in the morning, which meant a very early rise on a long drive into the city. I was ushered into what looked like a large dining room, 
in a convent in St. John's, Newfoundland. There was a small grand piano at the other end of the room. The examiner was sitting at the far end of the table and eating his breakfast when I arrived, and he continued to do so during the exam. Now, the examiner looked quite elderly to me, but think about it. I was 14 years old. This was my first exam, and the guy was probably my current age, and so from the perspective of a 14-year-old, he looked old. Anyway, I played the list ABC pieces, the technique, all the other exam requirements, and left. All in the span of less than 15 minutes. That was in May. I received my mark with comments in August. And it really wasn't a comment sheet. It was more like a medium-sized filing card with one or two lines written about each exam requirement. Now, doing the exam in May, getting the comments in August, there have been a lot of improvements in the examination system since then. That was a long time ago. So the examiner wrote a series of one-liners about each piece. I remember he said that my handle hornpipe was, quote-unquote, not bad, and that the list C piece, quote-unquote, needs work in places. So there really wasn't room on the card to write much, and there certainly wasn't a lot of pedagogical value. And also, as I said, so much time had passed between the exam and getting the results. So as an adolescent, I really couldn't see the point of my entire year's work culminating in this experience. I was happy with the mark, but not quite sure what to make of the comments and the whole process. So I didn't register for another music exam, but at that point I was moving on to another teacher, someone I've mentioned in previous episodes, Andreas Barban. His students didn't take examinations, but were all heavily involved in the annual competitive music festival. So at that point, my attention shifted to festival requirements, and I never took another piano examination. However, over the years of my teaching, I've prepared numerous university students and private students for examinations, mostly in the higher grade and diploma levels, but some in the lower grades as well. Let's jump ahead a few years. So in 1990, when I began teaching at Mount Allison University, Mount Allison has a music examination system that was established around the year 1911 to serve three provinces in Atlantic Canada, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island. The system is called Mount Allison Local Center Examinations in Music. So I joined the music department at Mount Allison in 1990, and for the next 17 years, I examined many piano students every spring. And looking at my records, I would estimate well over a thousand examinations in those 17 years, in all grade levels. All of that started in 1990. Three years later, in 1993, the director of Mount Allison Local Center exams retired from university, and I became the next director. So I served as director of the examining system for 10 years. And over the next 10 years, I was responsible for the administrative side, the organizational side of the operation. My work involved scheduling examinations, finding the best facilities to rent, hiring examiners, corresponding with teachers, and dealing with their questions and concerns. One of the most interesting projects of those early years came about when I first became director and I looked at examination statistics. We had very good numbers of students taking grades 1, 2, 3 exams, but there was a substantial decline starting at the grade four level. When I looked more closely and I compared our technical requirements for grade four with those of other examining systems, ours were far too demanding. For example, we had about double the number of scales compared to grade four in other Canadian examining systems. So I began the process of revising the piano syllabus. And to do this, I studied and compared several in Canada, the Royal Conservatory of Music and Conservatory Canada. 
I also looked at piano syllabus requirements from the United Kingdom and Australia. And as a result, I revised the piano syllabus for Mount Allison Local Center examinations, and the revisions were well received by teachers. A few years later, in 1999, I was a member of a national editorial committee for grades 8, 9, and 10 piano repertoire and study books for Conservatory Canada's New Millennium series. So here, with other colleagues, we were responsible for selecting music for those three grades. It was an interesting and challenging process because selecting music is such a subjective process. Lots of discussions about, you know, what piece would be a grade 8 piece, what would make something a grade 9 piece, and so on. So what I'm sharing today, my thoughts on music examinations, are thoughts that are the sum of my one not-so-positive examination experience as a teenager, my work as a teacher over the past 35 years, my 17 years as an examiner, 10 years as director of, exam of an examining system, and as a member of an editorial committee responsible for choosing pieces for grades 8, 9, and 10. So they're different perspectives, and I think they're all useful when looking at music examinations. Well, first of all, I want to say that I feel examinations are an excellent way to cover a comprehensive, thorough, graded curriculum with your students, to ensure that important aspects of playing, technique, and musicianship are covered each year. It's also an opportunity to get outside expert input and assess assessment on your work, to have a regional or national standard to measure the work of your students and your teaching. For many students, it can be a great way to motivate them to have a yearly goal of an exam. It gives them performing experience in that kind of environment. Outstanding students are often awarded with distinctions, medals, etc. There are opportunities for teachers' professional development. In Canadian provinces and territories, it is possible to get a high school credit for completing some of the grade requirements of music examinations. But again, in order for the potential, the positive potential for examination to be realized, as I said, there are several key players in this process, and that's what I want to talk about today. So let's begin by talking about the teacher, our role as teachers in this. As teachers, we are making a commitment to cover a comprehensive and demanding curriculum if we sign up for exams. There's repertoire. There are studies, technique, oral skills, sight reading, rudiments. Knowledge of the syllabus requirements is essential. You know, when I was preparing students for exams, I always kept the syllabus within reach in my studio. We all have busy lives. We are all human and we can forget. And we need to make sure we cover everything. If you have any questions, contact the examining institution or check in with other piano teachers. There are great options on social media. I'm also a big fan of charts and checklists to make sure all material is covered. I would keep checklists, for example, of all the technical ear training rudiments requirements and make note of what we covered each lesson and how it was progressing. In my 17 years as an examiner, there were many occasions where the teacher would misread the syllabus requirements. In grade one, for example, we had a requirement that students, in addition to the pieces, had to perform one study and one canon. This was clearly stated in the syllabus, but every year I would encounter students who had only prepared one, either the canon or the study, immediately losing 10 marks. This was often in rural areas where there were no other teachers for that teacher to connect with, and it was before social media, and I think people have better support nowadays, and there's probably less of that happening. In terms of lessons, 
more weekly lesson time might be necessary with each student to prepare for an examination. For the elementary grades, one to three, the traditional 30-minute piano lesson might not be enough. For exceptional and talented students, it probably is enough. But even those students should perhaps be getting more time as they are keen and talented. Anyway, perhaps a 45-minute lesson. Another option might be a 30-minute lesson or a 45-minute lesson and a group class where aspects of ear training, rudiments, technique, and sight reading can be covered. It's a fun opportunity for students to get together in groups. There are all sorts of motivational games you can do in group classes to cover those other areas outside of repertoire. And it also, the group classes also provide an opportunity for students to perform for each other. It's a good social opportunity to learn. And also from a business perspective, it's an opportunity to boost your income if you incorporate group classes. They don't have to be every week, but perhaps every other week. In my teaching, I've also found that by the time a student reaches the grade four level, I felt 60 minutes. A 60-minute lesson per week was recommended or needed, and I, and, or two 30-minute lessons. So give some thought to how your lesson time is distributed and, and assigned to the different students. In terms of repertoire, I can't stress this enough. Choose it wisely. Know the syllabus and the choice it offers. I encourage you to go beyond the repertoire and studies books that are published by the conservatory or institution. Be open to looking outside the publications for each grade. Be aware that at each grade, and increasingly in the intermediate and advanced grades, there are many more options of pieces and studies. When you're selecting your repertoire, think about each student's strengths and weaknesses. Choose the repertoire that highlights the student's strengths. Does your student have a real gift for lyrical, expressive playing? Showcase the positive aspects of your student's playing. If you have a younger student preparing grade one, for example, who struggles with some coordination issues, find repertoire that is more basic in this regard. I remember, for example, in the grade one repertoire book for the Royal Conservatory of Music in Canada, there were two pieces on opposite pages where one, the hands were lifting and dropping together, perfectly synchronized throughout. It's a good choice for a young student struggling with coordination issues. On the next page, there was a piece with hands lifting and dropping at different times, much more challenging. But as teachers, we need to be prepared to devote considerable time to choosing repertoire. Working hard to find the best match between the student and the music. It's time-consuming, but finding a balanced and varied program for each student to ensure as much as possible a positive experience is very, very important. A program that presents variety, shows their strengths, and will further build their confidence. Another thing I'd like to throw into this is when selecting music, absolutely think about the individual strengths of the students, the motivational factors of the music, but also think about the examiner. My experience for 17 years, we examiners, we spend many long consecutive days listening to students and this can be exhausting, particularly if you're hearing the same repertoire over and over. Personally, I found it refreshing to hear a new repertoire. You know, if it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon and a grade 3 student arrives with different pieces and different studies and has a really creative program, it is so refreshing as an examiner to listen to that music. So that's just my own personal preference. In terms of technique, I can't stress strongly enough, start it immediately. 
Too often it is left to the last minute and in many cases is the weakest part of the examination. I would schedule a December technique test or have regular technique tests in the weeks leading up to the examination. I found these very useful. Technical aspects are often challenging to work on with students. And the number of times in exams where I heard students play their pieces and their studies very well but show pretty significant weaknesses in the technical requirements. Technique, sight reading, oral skills, rudiments can also be covered in group classes with fun games exercises. You know, have technique Olympics. Students divided into teams where they have to practice specific scales for the next group class. Or a scale relay, teams of two students. One member of the team plays the ascending scale, the other member jumps in and plays the descending scale. How to make technique interesting for the student. Technique games in group classes. Make the scale and chord and arpeggio playing expressive. Doing all sorts of things to engage the student and engage their ears. Sight reading is another thing that can be practiced. It's a skill that can be developed and learned. There are many resources available. And it's important to keep developing that skill and to give them work in their regular lessons in the group classes and encourage them to do it at home. When it comes to ear training and oral skills, first and foremost, as I've said in other episodes, the ear should be actively engaged in all aspects of piano playing. I think teaching our students that our ears are just as important as our fingers and thumbs. Some would argue more important. The point is that I firmly believe that if students are taught to listen intently to their practice and to their playing, their ears will develop more quickly and will be comfortable with the ear test requirements of an examination. So time should be spent in the lessons or group classes developing the area of oral skills whether it's the rhythm clapback, the intervals, the short melody playback, etc. And again, group classes give you the time and a good, fun environment to work on this material. Rudiments, again, incorporating these essentials into the weekly teaching of all pieces and studies. You know, whenever I reintroduced a new term, for example, I would underline it lightly in pencil once we talked about it to make sure that at the next lesson with that student, I knew that we had already covered it, but I would regularly review these elements that are so important. I would also recommend having an examination rehearsal in the weeks leading up to the exam. Either you or another teacher. Have an environment in the lesson that's going to be like the exam. The student arrives, you sit at a table with a sheet of paper and they go through the whole exam requirements. You ask them the various technique, rudiments, ear training, etc. and you write comments. You can choose to give them a mark or a range of marks, you think, or that's entirely up to you. But it's a good rehearsal for the examination scenario and helps develop that mindset in the student. And to take that further, I would also regularly incorporate small elements of this in the actual lesson. I would mix things up sometimes during a lesson. In an examination, for, for example, students need the ability to focus quickly or more importantly, refocus quickly. Exams are fast-paced with a lot of material crammed into a relatively short period of time. Material that the student has spent an entire year working on. So it's important to develop the student's ability to handle the pace and setting of an exam. So for example, if I was in a lesson where the student finished playing their list A piece, 
and it hadn't gone very well, before I talked about it, I would immediately throw in a scale request. They would finish the piece and I'd say, okay, play your G major scale for me hands together. Where the, instantly the student has to switch gears. More like the element of a music exam. And I, I would always at some point use what I call the figure skater analogy with my students. I would talk to them about Olympic figure skating. So an Olympic freestyle skating performance I think is about three to four minutes. So those figure skaters have spent years and years of work leading up to those few minutes. Those three or four minutes are not just happening with you and one judge. Millions of people all over the world are watching. And if you're watching the Olympics and the skater misses a jump and falls, the skater falls in front of millions of people. What do they do? They get up, they smile, and they keep going, all in the space of a few seconds. And I would always use that analogy. So regardless of what happens, keep going. Refocus and keep going. So I think this type of approach of careful pacing and keeping track of the material and thoughtful preparation will ensure that nothing is omitted. Having clear weekly goals, guidelines, practice suggestions and directions given to the student and to the parent. A practice guide or lesson book, checklists and charts in your studio for each student. And finally, something very important is that the teacher should realize that examinations aren't necessarily a good idea for every student. Consider different learning styles, reasons for taking lessons, etc. when you decide which students might consider taking an exam. Let's take a look at the next player, the student. First and foremost, the student must have a desire to prepare for and take the exam and understand what it is, what it involves. This, I think, has to be clearly laid out at the beginning. You know, here's what's required, but I'm confident that you can do it. What do you say? Do you want to try an exam? So the student needs to understand the importance of regular practice, the nature of the curriculum and its various aspects. And that success will depend on good, consistent work ha habits right from the beginning of the year. So understanding the nature of the commitment. I think have the student sign an examination contract might be a good idea. Then there's the role of the parent. The teacher should ensure that the parent understands this commitment and the role in offering assistance, support, and encouragement, both before and after the exam. Be there as a support. Provide a good instrument, a good space, and the best practice time possible, given the other demands on the family schedule. Parents have a very important role to play in this process. But in my years of examining, I do have to say, it's really interesting the type of encouragement parents can give sometimes. Each year when I was out examining, I would keep track of some of the best comments from students, especially the very young, chatty students. I remember vividly a boy in grade one in Nova Scotia. He showed up for the exam, you know, dressed in a suit. He played his pieces, the study, and the canon very well. Then we got to the scales. The scales were absolutely terrible. He didn't have a clue. He didn't know how to start them. He didn't know the fingerings. I kept asking, this is grade one, scales, hands separately. I kept asking all the different ones, thinking, well, maybe I'll find one that he can do. He seemed to have no idea whatsoever. The rest of the technique was a little better. But what was interesting to me was that it didn't seem to bother him at all. 
Most other students in that situation, when something like that aspect of technique is going so poorly, it really throws them off. We went on and we finished the rest of the exam requirements. And when we did, I thanked him and I said, so tell me about your scales. And his response, I will never forget. He said, my dad took piano lessons when he was a kid. He hated scales and never practiced them. But he did okay for himself. So as he was leaving, I thought, wow, those scales were doomed right from the start. Then I had another little girl in grade three. When she finished her pieces in two studies, she played well. She asked, would it be okay if I choose the scales I want to play? I responded, no, I get to choose the scale. She said, okay, well, my mom thought it might be worthwhile to ask. So that girl is probably a first-rate contract lawyer somewhere now. So parents, be encouraging and support your, your children and, and in their preparation for the exam because it is a big deal. There's a lot of material to cover. Now, what about the examining institution or the examining system? Well, this examining body has a huge responsibility. When I was director of Mount Allison Local Center Examinations for 10 years, I got to see the whole picture of how this works. It is very important to establish reasonable demands for each grade and a good choice of repertoire and studies. What I loved about the system at Mount Allison was the fact that teachers and students could use any conservatory publications they wish. We didn't publish books, so they could choose repertoire and studies from the Royal Conservatory, Conservatory Canada. So there was lots of choice for students. And over the years, this has improved even more for examination, examination systems. More choices, more choices in the area of jazz, more popular styles. I think there's been a lot of great progress made. Also, I think examining bodies have to consider the option of doing an examination in parts. Split or partial examinations in some grade levels can be a great benefit to many students who have extremely busy lives. Or offer a supplemental exam to improve a mark. Now, of course, during the pandemic, online examinations have become a reality. And as I said earlier, I expect we'll continue in some form. Of course, you need a strong internet connection, a good quality instrument. And with those things, online examinations can significantly decrease the costs of running the operation. It is a very expensive operation to run in terms of travel, accommodation costs, and fees for examination examiners. In fact, many examining systems cannot break even on exams alone. It is the revenues from the sale of books that are very, very important. It's also critical that the examination system provide a good atmosphere during the examination. Find the best facilities with good instruments. In my work as an administrator, this often presented challenges. We have to remember that students, parents, and teachers deserve a high level of professional input. Teachers and students have worked hard, and for many parents, examinations are expensive. I also believe that examination systems have to allow enough time to cover the examination requirements. I'm a firm believer in teaching even very young students to develop an interpretation of a piece as a whole. Every piece, regardless of the level, is a musical journey. In other podcasts, I've talked about the idea of an artistic image an interpretation roadmap that informs all practice and preparation. And to me, it's such a shame to go into an examination system where the student can potentially be cut off before the piece is over. 
Now, of course, I realize that in some of the high grades and diploma areas, this might be necessary in a few instances if the students have chosen long repertoire. But I think if the teacher is careful and chooses a balanced, varied program within the time limit, I believe that students should be given the opportunity to perform their pieces from beginning to end. It's also important to ensure that the examiners are experienced, qualified, and student-friendly. I cannot stress the student-friendly part enough. The exam is a big deal for most students. Many of them arrive very nervous. I've had very young students absolutely terrified. Some students burst into tears when they enter the room or in the middle of the examination if it's not going well. We need examiners with the personality to put the student at ease, to smile, be pleasant, to encourage, and I can tell you it's not always easy to find examiners with all those qualities. I also believe that the role of an examining institution is to offer professional development opportunities for teachers and examiners. Those, important, or those opportunities are very important to help us all develop professionally and to get new ideas that we can apply to our teaching. Results of examinations need to be issued as promptly as possible and need to contain constructive ideas for the student and the teacher. At Mount Allison, the exams were usually in late May and early June, and our goal was to return grades and comments to teachers and students within two weeks of the exam. Before the teaching year was over, when the exam requirements are still fresh in the students' minds and under their fingers, the longer students and teachers have to wait for comments, I believe, the less effective and useful they are as a teaching tool. It's also a good idea for examining institutions to offer rewards and incentives, medals, and to celebrate the achievements of outstanding students. So as I said, the examining institution has a huge responsibility. What about the examiners? Well, examining is very hard work. You sit, sometimes for many days, listening, intense listening, with the need to offer each student encouragement and help, tips to help move the piece or the playing to the next level. So we need examiners with teaching experience and solid pedagogical knowledge. How to write clearly and concisely is an art in itself, and there isn't a lot of time in the actual exam but it's important to offer encouragement and ways to improve. I've always felt that the examiner's comment should offer at least one concrete thing to work on to take the student's playing to the next level. And as I've said before, you must never forget that the parents have paid for a professional service, a high-level professional service, and the students and teachers have worked hard. Examiners must also have the stamina to do the job. It can be mentally exhausting and you get tired of sitting, but every child who enters deserves a pleasant examiner with an interaction that's conducive to the child performing to the best of their ability. I would also recommend proofreading your comments before submitting them to be sent to students and teachers. I would usually do that in the evening, so we, I would examine all day and then have a dinner break. And after dinner, while the exams were still fresh in my mind, I would read the comments and almost always there were slight revisions, rewording. Also during the day, I would make a short note beside my master list of students. 
If I put a check mark with an exclamation mark beside it, it indicated an outstanding exam, and I wanted to make sure that there was a comment at the end that recognized that. Or if I had a, a student who was, you know, seriously lacking in the preparation of the technical requirements, the word technique with a line through it next to the master list meant I needed to make sure I reviewed my comments and say something that would encourage the students to prepare the technical requirements, but something along the lines of, I know you can do this because I heard so many other good things in your playing. But what I want to stress is that the work of the examiner is so important and it is highly demanding work. So these are some of my thoughts on the five players in the music examination process. And with those five players committed to doing their absolute best, examinations offer many opportunities for growth and development for both teachers and students. If your students had exams this year, I hope it has been a positive learning experience. I thank you for listening and I hope you have a great restful summer. I invite you to visit my website for more information about my work. Again, download this podcast outline in the podcast description in Buzzsprout. Thank you again. Bye for now. <laughs>